be back with you here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Tom Hassler. Um, make my home in Crossville, Tennessee with my wife and two boys. Uh, my wife is Carrie. Y'all may know her as Carrie Cagle. Uh, came down to the valley a few years ago, actually almost 20 years ago, and uh, took her up on the mountain. I've kept her up on the mountain now for quite a while. Uh, so it's good for us to be back here. Uh, we have our two boys, Halen and Hayes, are here with us tonight. And um, I want to thank the elders uh, for the opportunity to be back. I'm, I preach at Stevens Gap Church of Christ, which is just up on top of the mountain. I've uh, been there a little over 10 years preaching there, and uh, we've worshipped there for about the last 14 or 15 years. Uh, I want to put in a plug very quickly. Uh, while uh, I have your attention and, and at the beginning here, uh, we're having a gospel meeting also that begins in July the 28th. We'll run through the 31st. Uh, that's with Brother Rick Jones, so uh, if you have the opportunity, we'd love for you all to be with us. Now, tonight, uh, our lesson uh, is titled or focus on God's plan for the family. Now, I want to thank the elders, and thank again, thank you for the opportunity to be here, but what a great topic uh, for a lesson, God's plan for the family. Now, I was blessed with a wonderful mother and father, a Christian man and woman that took us to church, uh, that made sure that we were at church. I'll never forget that uh, on Sunday evenings, uh, the wonderful world of Disney used to come on at church time. Uh, and I would always try to hide and watch that wonderful world of Disney, but it never failed. My mom would find me, uh, and she would come, and she'd grab me by the arm, and off to church that we would go. But how blessed I was to have parents that made sure that, that we knew the Lord, uh, that we knew God's Word, and that would carry on through our life. Now, I was also blessed to marry into a, a wonderful family. My in-laws have been absolutely wonderful to me. Uh, my family already said we have two boys. It's just a wonderful thing. Uh, then we have Christ's family, brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Now, tonight we'll look at marriage. We'll discuss husbands, we'll discuss wives, we'll discuss mothers and fathers and children, we'll discuss the relationships between all of these, uh, we'll discuss how God uh, would have this unit function as a family. Now, as we begin, the first point that I want to make uh, is that God created us for relationships. Uh, the entire Bible, as we go through, uh, is about how we, number one, uh, we can have a right relationship with God, uh, and number two, how we can have a right relationship with one another. Uh, the teachings of Jesus uh, were always focused on relationships. Uh, a right relationship with the Father, with God, a right relationship with one another, uh, with our spouse, uh, with our children, with our employers, uh, with our government, uh, even a proper relationship with our enemies. And I know that sounds odd to have a proper relationship with our enemies. But that's so true. I forgot to mention this group right back here from Stevens Gap. It's wonderful to see their smiling faces as, as they're there. As you look out, this microphone keeps on getting low on me, so I'm going to keep on pulling it up. Uh, but as we go through and see those wonderful faces smiling back, it's, it's so great. But I want us to pause and go back through for a minute uh, and go back and talk about our relationship uh, with the spouse. As we went through that list, uh, we noticed that spouse was in that list, and we asked the question, uh, what is a spouse? We understand that, right? Uh, men, uh, your spouse is your wife, uh, a woman. Uh, women, uh, your spouse is a husband, uh, a man. That relationship between husband and wife is called marriage. Uh, we learned that, and we all know that. We learned that at a very young age. I think that's something that we can all say that, that we understand. But we ask the question, where did uh, marriage come from? 
Uh, is it a product of our federal government? Is it a product of our state government? And we have to say no, that marriage is not a product of government. Uh, a marriage is from God. A union of husband and wife. So what do we mean about the first man? Uh, I think if we went around the room here and we asked many of these children, uh, what do you read about the first man? They're going to say, well, Tom, that's, that's an awful easy question. Uh, that's in the book of Genesis. So that's where I want you to go. Uh, there was handouts that I gave you. I have a tendency to get a little fast on scriptures, so uh, I, I do a handout. It's from the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, if you have those, please take them with you. That's kind of an outline of this lesson of the scripture that we use. If you don't have one, uh, if you'll raise your hand, somebody will bring you one. So if you raise your hand, if you don't have one, uh, we'll make sure that you get one. But I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1, look at verses uh, 26 and 27. He's got them right here. We'll make sure if you raise your hand again there, he'll get you, uh, he'll get you uh, one of those if you did not get one. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we read, And God said, uh, Let us make man in our image, uh, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Uh, so God created man in his image. In the image of God uh, created he him. Male and female created he them. And now I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read there, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, uh, and breathed into his life, or it breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So here we have what? We have the first living soul. Uh, we have the man that we know uh, as Adam. If you continue in Genesis chapter 2, go down to verse 18. In verse 18, the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. Uh, I will make him a, a helpmeet for him. Uh, I will make him a helper comparable uh, to him. Uh, we continue reading in, in chapter 2. We go down to verse 20. But for Adam there was found not, or not found a helpmeet for him. Uh, and the Lord God uh, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh and stood thereof. Uh, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. And brought her unto the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, uh, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Here we see that marriage is an institution established by God. Uh, if you go back for just a second, I want you to go back to verse 22. Uh, and in verse 22, I want you to see if there's some words that you noticed. Uh, because uh, in preparing for this lesson, I noticed some words that I had probably read over so many times. Uh, but the words say, and brought her unto the man. Uh, we would say, and brought her, Eve, unto the man, Adam. Here was the first marriage. Uh, God himself uh, officiating in it, uh, thus making God a partner and a participant uh, in every wedding. Here we notice that God intended for marriage to be one woman and one man. Now, if we go to the New Testament, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 19 and look at verses 4 through 6. 
Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Uh, and he answered and said unto them, uh, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave uh, or be joined to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Uh, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What God therefore hath joined together, uh, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate. Look also at Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Folks, we must understand, uh, as we discuss marriage, uh, we must understand that the scriptures that relate to marriage uh, are just as binding as those which relate to the plan of salvation. Uh, they're just as binding as the scriptures that relate to worship. Uh, here in these verses, we can see uh, marriage as God intended it to be. So we ask the question, when does or should marriage happen? Uh, is it at the age of 18, at the age of 20? At the age of 25, at the age of 30, at the age of 50, what is that correct age? Now, I have to tell you, I think that my mom and dad thought that I was probably not going to get married. Uh, I was 29 years old when I finally met Carrie, but I had to wait on her to grow up because she was only 21. It took her a while to get there. But folks, there's no magic age. There's no magic number when marriage happens. But we must understand Man leaving the parental relationship in favor of another relationship has many implications. Uh, there's many adjustments. There's many changes. A uh, son leaves the, the headship of his parents to become the head of his own family. Uh, he leaves the financial support uh, of his parents. Young men, are you listening to that? I want you to make sure that you get that. You leave the financial support of your parents. I see some fathers smiling pretty big. You leave to provide for yourself, to provide for your own household. Another question is, uh, how long did God intend for marriage to last? What if we asked that question from the point of view of our world? Uh, what kind of answers would we get? They'd be very varied, wouldn't they? But if we go back to Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, it's very clear uh, the intent of the marriage relationship in, the, in its length of time. Uh, we can understand that marriage was intended to last till death. Uh, it was meant for either the life of the husband or for the life of the wife. Till death do us part. Now, point number two, right relationships demand priorities. Do we have priorities in our lives? Do we ever have priorities? How many of you have ever heard or maybe used the statement, that's not a priority to me? Have you ever used that? Something that maybe was not high on your list? Uh, if I asked you to take out a piece of paper right now, uh, and you took out that piece of paper, and you took out your pen, and asked you to write down the priorities in your life, uh, what would you write? Uh, what are your priorities in your life? If we look around our world, Look around our nation and our communities. 
We have a, a lot of unhappy families today because we seem to have lost sight of what is important in our lives. Uh, we need to return uh, to putting first things first. Now we must understand that these priorities that we have in our life, uh, they're not always going to stay in order 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, uh, week in and week out. I want you to think about this example. How many here tonight have ever seen or maybe even used or worked with a compass? Who worked with a compass? Anybody here? A few? I, I can't say that I've ever actually used a compass. Uh, I've held a compass. Uh, I've looked at a compass. I've played around with a compass. I even turn on my phone and there's a compass there. But I can say I've never really used it. I'm not exactly sure if I, if I would know how. But what I want us to view or what I want us to do is to view our priorities like a needle on a compass. Uh, the needle on the compass does what? Uh, if your compass is, is, is properly calibrated, uh, that needle always points in what direction? In north. Uh, it always goes in that particular direction. Uh, you can bump that compass. Uh, you can drop that compass. You can turn it upside down. You can shake it. You can set it on its side. Uh, that needle will swing wildly. But when life settles down, uh, when the compass becomes still, it always points north. Uh, we must always remember in our lives and maintain our focus, maintain our priorities. Uh, just like that compass, just like that needle, no matter what goes on in our lives, if we're turned upside down, if we're turned sideways, if we're shaken, uh, we must always allow our priorities uh, to remain in place. So what I want us to do is I want us to examine some priorities uh, that will help us in our commitment to family. Priority number one is, is God first. I want you to think back to that list that I just asked you about. I want you to think back to that list of your priorities, and I want you to answer yourself the question, uh, was God first on my list? Was God on your list at all? In Mount Sinai, in Exodus chapter 20, the command was, God first. No other gods before me. Uh, Jesus said our first priority is to love God uh, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our soul. In essence, he's saying to love God with all we have, to love God with all we are. It should be obvious to us that if God is not first in our lives, first in all we do, uh, if we do not have a, a proper personal relationship with our Creator, uh, then we're not going to have the resources, we're not going to have the spiritual direction, uh, nor the power to cope with the other priorities. Folks, God empowers us to become His child. Look at John chapter 1, and, yes, John chapter 1 and verse 12. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, uh, even to them that believe on his name. To those who believe, uh, he gave the power to become the sons of God. And we must know also uh, that God empowers us uh, to become the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife, the right kind of parent and grandparent. Uh, God wants us to become uh, better Christian individuals. Uh, he wants us to have happy homes. Uh, and he will empower us to become and to do these things. 
We don't have to rely on our own ability. God promises to help us. For instance, if you were to go out and you were to find the most unhappy home that you can find, and you plug God and God's Word into that home, some things will begin to change. Uh, You find the worst sinner uh, that you know about. And if they will give the Spirit of God permission to work in their lives, you'll see a changed individual. Isn't it time that we return to a faith in the power of God to change our lives? He can, He will change our lives if, and if is a big two-letter word, if we will give him the position and the priority that he asks for in our lives. Uh, Many homes are unhappy today because God is not given the rightful place uh, because we are not first and foremost committed to love, uh, to worship, and to serve God. Priority number two is our spouse. We've already talked about the definition of spouse, understanding what spouse is. But look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says, uh, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for. Uh, Now go down to verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, uh, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, uh, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Men, husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it? Can we even begin to imagine the love that is mentioned here, men? Uh, The love that Christ had for the church, giving his own life, that we could have the possibility of eternal life? What does that say about the husband's love to his wife? I don't know about you, but for me, it gives it an entirely new meaning. Husbands must be dedicated to their wives, uh, willing to sacrifice everything to them, putting them second in their life only to God. Men, nothing on this earth outside of your relationship with God should be more important to you than your wife. Uh, Not your children, not your job. Not your cars, not your fishing boat, not your fishing gear, not your hunting gear, whatever hobby it may be. Not even yourself should come before your wife. Now go back and look at Ephesians 5 and verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Men, the husband must live up to his God-given responsibility. Uh, He is to be the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Uh, So what should this look like? Uh, How should a a man do this? What does being the head entail? Well, this headship, this leadership, must be exercised in love, in humility, in consideration for his wife and, and her needs before himself and before his own needs. Uh, This means that the husband has a responsibility uh, for the family spiritually. 
uh, responsibility to make sure that the family is centered, that the family is focused, that the family is guided uh, by God's Word and by Christ. The husband must be an example of this. However, this does not mean that the husband can be a tyrant. Uh, It doesn't mean that he can be a dictator. Uh, Our wife is not to be our slave. Our wife is not to bow before us. Instead, a husband is to honor his wife. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell or live with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them with understanding, uh, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Folks, many wives today are treated as just being common. Uh, Many wives today are, are taken for granted. Have you ever camped? Anybody like to camp? I, I like. I, I'm, I'm bad to ask you questions, so you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to let me know I, that, that that you're with me. But if you like to camp, do you not have when you go camping some special pots and pans that you use at the camp? Uh, you use those pots and pans because maybe you're going to set them directly over the fire. Uh, maybe you've got a grate that you set there and you set that pot on. Uh, you don't really treat these pots and pans like you do your pots and pans at home uh, because you kind of think of them as disposable. You know, you're going to use them, and if they get messed up, that's okay. Uh, you don't really care what happens to them. But what if you were there and you had your great-grandmother's fine china? How would you treat that china? Uh, would you treat it delicately? Uh, would you treat it carefully? Would you treat it with respect? Man, I want us to understand that your wife is not the camping pot, okay? She's the fine china. This is how she's to be treated. As we can read, Paul's instruction here suggests respect, esteem, and treatment that's expressive of the proper honor in both word and deed. A husband is to live with his wife with understanding. Now I'm going to pause there for a second, and I'm going to smile a little bit, and I'm going to say the phrase, understanding your wife. Have you ever seen a Rubik's Cube? Everybody know what a Rubik's Cube is? A Rubik's Cube is one of these things, um, it's a handheld game, and it's got six sides, and on every side is a different color. Uh, and this, in this cube with these colors, it can move in all different directions, and you can twist it, and you can turn it, and you can get it all messed up. And that's kind of the object of that cube or of that game, uh, is to get all the colors as mixed up as you can get them, uh, and then go back and try to put them in order. Now, I could never do that. I could never get that thing in order. I took mine apart and put it back together. But now, for those of you that might know how to put that back together, you might understand your wife. A husband may never be able to completely understand his wife and her way of thinking because men and women, they think very differently. But that's not what the command is here. The understanding the husband must have is that of the marriage relationship. Uh, his God-given responsibilities towards his wife in that relationship. Uh, Husbands are to provide for the needs of their wives. Uh, And I want us to look at these needs very quickly. Uh, We're to provide for their physical needs. We discussed this back when we talked about the young men. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Uh, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, uh, he hath denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. 
providing for your family's physical needs. A husband must provide for uh, the emotional and the intimate needs, for the intellectual needs, uh, for the spiritual needs. A husband should remember and treat his wife, as we just read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, as a joint heir of the grace of life. Men, husbands, fathers, we have a big job. Now, ladies, as we've gone through and talked about these husbands and men, I've seen a lot of smiles. Uh, I've seen a few of you give some elbow nudges as we've been talking about this. So we've talked about the husbands, but what about the wife? Ladies, your husband is to be first in your life behind God. And before your children. Don't place your children, don't place your grandchildren before your husband. You see, this happens so many times every day. And it destroys our homes. McGill University did a nine-year study on what influences our children uh, to become what they are. And I want to make sure you're listening to this point because it's very critical. Uh, What influences our children the most during their formative years, uh, during these years that they're going through and they're learning? The results that they found in the study were published in a book that's titled The Silent Majority. The dominant thing that they called the thermostat of emotional and mental health, what do you think that it was? The number one thing. It was the relationship a child saw between his parents or her parents as they were growing up. Uh, The greatest thing that we as parents can do for our children is to let them, uh, number one, see our love for God, uh, and number two, uh, see our love for one another as husband and wife. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, And in 1 Peter 3, 1, we read, uh, You wives, be in subjection, be submissive to your own husbands. You know, that differs greatly from what we hear in our culture today, does it not? Uh, We don't hear from our culture today that a wife should be submissive to her husband. That's not popular in our culture, in our society. But we must understand this is God's plan. And God's plan is always best. And it has its own built-in rewards. Now, this doesn't mean that the husband is superior to the wife simply because he's the head of the family. I want you to think about this question. Are we superior to our children? And I hope we answer that question. Certainly not. Uh, Jesus said that we must become like them. We must become like our children. But now they are to be uh, submissive to us as parents. There's a quality between the husband and wife despite the difference in rank. Now, what about a wife as a mother. I want you to think about this. It's been said, and I don't know where this came from, but it's been said by the time a child reaches the age of 18 that a mother has had to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work 
I want you to think about that. 18,000 hours. Uh, if you go and you assume that a full-time employee uh, works 2,080 hours a year, that's pretty much considered full-time. That's 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Uh, if you take these 18,000 hours and you put that into perspective with a full-time employee, uh, they've spent eight and a half years uh, of a full-time job. A junior high science teacher lectured on the properties of magnets for an entire class period. And I want you to think about that. Take the entire class period lecturing on magnets. The next day, the teacher came in and gave a quiz to the students. Uh, the first question was, my name begins with M. Has six letters, and I pick up things. What am I? Over half of the kids in the class answered mother. Not magnet. Uh, a father was explaining the concept of marriage and family to his four-year-old daughter. Uh, thinking that visual aids would help, and I want you to think about that in our lives. If you can see something visually, uh, sometimes it's a lot easier than seeing it uh, in a book, just reading it, if you can see a picture with it. So he got out the wedding album, and he's sitting there with his four-year-old daughter, and he begins to explain the entire, entire wedding service to her, uh, going through the pictures one at a time. Uh, when he was finished, his daughter pointed to the picture of the whole wedding party, and she asked, Daddy, is this when Mommy came to work for us? Mothers, wives, have a servant heart. Uh, mothers are unreasonable in their loving, in their caring, and in their serving. Uh, it seems that mothers never get tired uh, of caring for their children, and I'm going to add in there that I never get tired of caring for their husbands because we cause them a lot of messes. Mothers serve sacrificially. Uh, they never count the hours. They never count the pain. They never count the money uh, that it takes to raise children. And I'm pretty sure if they did that they would never have any, would they? As we talk about children, this leads us to our next priority. Priority number three is, is our children. Parents, don't expect your children to be perfect. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Folks, uh, there are no perfect people. We must understand that point. There are no perfect parents. Uh, there are no perfect children. We must not expect our children to meet all of our expectations, uh, to fulfill all of our goals that we have for them. Uh, or to be all that we want them to be. Too many parents today uh, are trying to live through their children. Uh, we want our sons to be football players and basketball players. We want them to be the stars of the team, but we never were. Uh, we want our daughters to be cheerleaders and athletes that we never were. We need to let our children be who they are. Every child is different. I have two boys. They're as different as daylight and dark. Uh, one is quiet and reserved, an old soul and a young body. The other one is exactly the opposite. He's wide open. Our children are not a clone of us. Mine may look exactly like me, but we're very much different. It's natural for a child to make mistakes. Uh, accept them for, uh, for who they are, um, whether they're clumsy or whether they're athletic, whether they're scatterbrained or whether they're brainy, uh, whether they're shy or whether they're a motor mouth, they're goofy or they're sophisticated, whether they're a realist uh, or whether they uh, are all about fantasy. Accept them for who they are. Enjoy your children. 
Psalm 127 and verse 3 says, uh, Children are an heritage of the Lord, uh, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, children are a gift of God. They're a gift from God. This verse tells us that our children are given to us to enjoy. Uh, not for us to avoid, not for us to be angry at, uh, not for us to ignore, uh, but to enjoy. In order to enjoy our children, we must spend time with them. Uh, we must have fun with them. We must share our life with them. We must be so careful not to allow uh, our culture to squeeze us into the mold uh, of thinking that it's, that it's quality of time, uh, or that it's quantity, not quantity, but quality of time that matters. Time spent with our children is so very important. Uh, they need to experience our good times and our bad times, our spare times, our work times. Uh, don't just give them the leftovers that you have in your life, but, but give them the reality of life. Spend time with our children anytime, all the time. Listen to your children. Proverbs chapter uh, 1 and verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. Parents, we must give our children our undivided attention. Uh, not with one eye on the TV, uh, one eye on the computer, uh, one eye on the cell phone, and the other eye on them. When they have a problem, when they're worried, when they're sad, when they're lonely, they don't need cartoons, they don't need video games, they don't need their best friend, they need their parents. A young, handsome father and his beautiful daughter, they went to dinner one night. Uh, it was obvious that it was dress-up night, uh, Friday evening out with, with father and daughter. Uh, the daughter, she comes in and she skips down the aisle between the seats and she goes to her seat. She's smiling from ear to ear. Uh, she's sitting across from her father and all eyes are on him from her like he's the only thing that exists. Uh, can you imagine that? Can you not see that picture of the daughter sitting there smiling at her father and she's so happy to be with him? And then his telephone rings. And he answers the call. From the face and the posture of this young lady, it was very easy to tell that she was disappointed. Folks, we must get involved with our children. Uh, we must know what's going on in the lives of our children. Uh, listen to them. Uh, even though... They may not be saying anything. They're saying so much all the time. Be the kind of parent that they can come to. Express anything that's on their mind any time. Pray with your children. I, I cannot express how important it is to pray with your children uh, when times are good. Uh, pray with your children when times are bad, uh, in times of, ne of, of need, in times of mourning, in times of happiness. Pray with your children. Teach them to pray. We must be willing to train our children. We've already discussed Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Uh, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents, especially young parents, I I'm going to say this, I'm going to ask you not to get mad at me when I say it, okay? Uh, God has not given the responsibility of raising our children uh, to the federal government, to the local school board, to our church. 
Uh, our children's spiritual, emotional, social, educational, financial, and physical welfare uh, are biblically placed upon the shoulders of us as parents. And any attempt to remove that and place them somewhere else is against God's will, against God's intent. Parents, I want you to listen closely. If we're not teaching our children, uh, if we're not teaching our children God's Word, if we're not teaching them the Bible, if we're not teaching them Jesus, I I promise you that someone will teach your children. Satan will make sure that they learn. Are we willing to let this happen to our children? We must be that example of a life that is dedicated in service to God. Now, children, you've got to hear about mothers and fathers. You've got to hear about husbands and wives. Now we turn our attention to the responsibilities of children. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I want us to look at that together. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, uh, that may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Jesus is our example. Uh, We ought to honor our mothers and fathers because this is what Jesus did. Uh, Our lives are supposed to be Christ-like. We are supposed to be the image of God's Son, Christ. Not only is Jesus our example, but as we just read, we're commanded to do this today. We already looked at verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 6. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. Honor your father and mother. But I also want you to look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. Colossians 3, 20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. When you put these scriptures together, we find Paul giving reasons why we ought to honor our parents. Paul says, simply because it's the right thing to do. It's the proper thing to do. Uh, He says in Colossians that we ought to honor our parents because it pleases the Lord. This is the only promise that we really need, isn't it? Honor our parents because it pleases God. It's wrong to act any other way to our parents. Uh, They're the ones that brought us into this world. The mother who walked in the valley of the shadow of death to give us life. Uh, The father who gave us life and provided for us. Go back to Ephesians 6 and verse 3. We see the words, That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on earth. Folks, examine history. Go back and look at history. Over and over again, the great cultures, uh, the great nations of our world, uh, they have crumbled because of lack of submission uh, to parental authority and to the lack of parental discipline. Be it the Persians, be it the Greeks, the Romans, we are to honor our parents. Folks, we could talk for several lessons regarding God's plan for the family. Uh, The biggest problem that I had in getting this lesson prepared is what in the, where do you stop? You could go on and on. Tonight we have only scratched the surface of God's plan for family. But as we close, here is something to think about. God is a parent. 
And he has some expectations of us as his children. He asks that we believe in him and that we believe in his son Jesus. Uh, he expects us to repent from our sins, turn from our sins, uh, and let him lead us, lead us in paths of righteousness. Uh, he expects us to confess Jesus uh, as his Son and as our Savior. Uh, he expects us to be born again of, of water and of spirit. So we read Galatians three twenty six and 27. For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, have been clothed with Christ. It's not to ask you, are you his child? If your answer is no, there's an invitation extended to you this evening to become his child. Uh, as we just said, you can do so by faith. Uh, repenting of the sins that you have in your life. Confessing Jesus as God's Son. Uh, being baptized for the remission of those sins. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you are a child of God, and as that child, uh, you've not lived up to his expectations. We need to begin to change that in our lives. Uh, perhaps we have some sins that we need to confess, that we need to acknowledge. A scripture tells us that if we uh, confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Folks, I don't know the condition of your life this evening. Uh, I don't know where your life finds you this evening. Uh, I don't know if you're a child of God. I don't know if you've obeyed his word. I don't know if you're an erring child of God. Uh, we're told that we each will stand in judgment uh, for the things in our lives that are good or for our things in our lives that are bad. I encourage you this evening to think about your life, to think about your family, to think about the family of God, and ask yourself the question, uh, where is my life? Uh, am I prepared for eternity? Uh, don't leave this facility tonight unprepared as together we stand and sing this invitation song.